crazy? I'm sorry. Y'all are stupid. David, please. Get off me. Y'all ain't nothing without me. I made your asses. You can't fire me. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? Y'all can't do me like this. You are grateful, son of a bitches. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Simply King Podcast, and this is your boy Rodney Perry, King himself, and you just tuned into the Soulfully Conscious Podcast for humans, simply being humans. First off, I'm going to shout out to my guest last week, Aisha Oduola Owu. Um, she came through and gave a beautiful, beautiful perspective and a play-by-play of her experience on the Black Women Own the Conversation. It was a dope conversation. Make sure you guys go listen to that. Go check that out. It's so dope. It's so great. It was a long, hearty conversation. That I believe it's going to be forever valuable. There's a lot of dope stuff that was said in that conversation. She dropped so many gems. Um, make sure that you are reviewing, leaving, uh, like, make sure you're following on Spotify. I think all these little, you know, streaming platforms are different. So the things that you can leave reviews on, leave reviews on the things that you can just, you know, subscribe and just download. Make sure you subscribe and download. Also, I don't think a lot of people know this, but I also post episodes to YouTube. I am on YouTube, one of the biggest platforms in the web, (laughs) for lack of better words. And so make sure you guys can listen to me anywhere podcasts are, except for SoundCloud. And I'm still iffy about it if I'm ever going back because I'm doing pretty well not being on there but we'll see in the near future but i digress what are we talking about today today we're talking about biopics black biopics to be specific why are we talking about biopics honestly i didn't want to talk about harriet but i do want to say something about the controversy about harriet wanted to speak my piece on that because i wasn't really hyped up to see the film i am one of those people who has been swayed who has went with his gut and kind of feels just a lot of ways about this. But I do want to analyze the importance of black biopics specifically because they are definitely, they're not just movies. They're bigger than films. And it's an unfortunate thing, but also a dope thing at the same time um, in terms of opportunities that it can create for a lot of different people. So buckle your, you know, buckle your seats up. Turn your radio up. Make sure your earbuds and your AirPods are in good and tight because this is going to be a really dope, quick conversation, quick monologue, I guess, of just information that I think you really got, that you're really going to get you thinking and enjoy a lot. You feel me? So let's do it. Let's get into it. This is Simply King. Now, we first have to do the housekeeping in the before i get into the main topic of discussion we have to talk about the twitter check-in yes the twitter check-in um 
So play my good old Twitter check-in music. So today's Twitter check-in is about Drake. And why is it about Drake? It's about Drake because, and I'm gonna make sure I insert, you know, the sound by clip of him um, right here, right in here somewhere. You know, I'm gonna tell you, like I said, I'm here for you tonight. If you wanna keep going, no. I will keep going tonight. What's up? Drake. If you wanna keep going, I will keep going tonight. Oh, He's gonna stay. It's been love. I love y'all. I go by the name of Drake. Thank you for having me. And the thing about Drake that's so intriguing to me is that the man has really been the shits for practically his whole career. And he certainly he certainly has had a lot of commercial success and all of that. But what I that what has has occurred baffles me. But I know why. I'll break it down to you for you all who don't know who've been living under a rock like Patrick Starr. So you have Drake, you have Aubrey Drake Graham who goes and unbeknownst to the participants and the uh, the audience members of the Flognaw, uh, Tyler Creators Flognaw Festival. I think it's like a one to two day weekend festival and um, it's in L.A. And it's a particular crowd. Everyone knows that the people who are Tyler Creator fans, he has a very cult-like following. It's a very particular skater. It's a mixed in with like skater, hipster, um, hype beast type of crowd. You feel me? Um, they don't want to. They don't really like the mainstream hip hop. They don't really like the you know the right under the mainstream hip hop. The under they don't really really fuck with underground like that. They like it in the middle where it's kind of eclectic. It's a little bit experimental. It's kind of musical. It, it's a lot of things because that's what all Tyler is. And a lot there's a lot of people who kind of came after him who were inspired by him who make very similar music now, which I would assume was filled throughout the the um, the whole catalog of people who were there. But the fact that they had a surprise and everyone in the crowd were expecting Frank Ocean of all people, I'm assuming because of the Our Future connection, and it don't make sense because you shouldn't have that strong of an expectation, right? But what transpires is it's actually Drake, which you would think is a beautiful thing. Well, it was a plus. You have paid for a festival and you got a Drake set as well uh, like that is so most people would see that as a gift like see that as a historic moment that i was there on this day didn't even know that i was paying for this and then i got a whole drake set what they said the story was this drake came on and they thought that he was kind of like the opener for frank ocean they still had hopes that frank ocean was going to come out yet he did not so they started to boo aubrey graham and I don't understand, but this initially I didn't understand why or what was a good reason for it. Once I found out it was because they were expecting Frank Ocean, they not getting them. And they, you know, kept saying, where's Frank? They were shouting out or booing. And essentially, that's where you hear that clip. That's where you heard that clip where he literally says, you know, if y'all want me to keep going, y'all want me to keep going. Um, I'll, I'll keep going if you want me to. If not, I'll go because I feel that. I'm not going to stay somewhere I'm really not wanted. But where are we now that 
Drake, of all people, gets booed. <laughs> the internet in the world that we live in is such an interesting place that him, of all people, who sells out stadiums, is getting booed. Um, I don't know. It doesn't make sense. Like, he sings, he raps. Tyler sings and raps. I get why Tyler, like, like you would think this extremely commercial rapper would work no matter where you put him. No matter what lineup, no matter where you throw him at, people going to fuck with him. Not in this case. What I believe it is, no one likes the thing that's super commercial. And when I say super commercial, that means all white people know of this. They know they have a reference point. They have some knowledge on it. I've seen it live and in color. Um, There is this sense of like once it gets too white, and gets too mainstream, it starts to lose its luster. It's almost expected for it to have a certain quality. You almost expect them to be, you know, critically acclaimed. You already expect all that because they're at a height and a level that, you know, they're really not fighting up against anything. They're really just competing with themselves because they're at the top of the mountain. It's weird. It's fucking weird. Like, as soon as people get really, really high up, that's when you start to, that's when a lot of people start to, to knock on them and say, well, they're not like this. They're not like that. It's like the people who have things to say about Beyonce. It doesn't make any sense. The woman works great. She works hard. And she produces beautiful music. But yet people still find a reason to be like, I think she's overrated. I think it's just okay. I think this person is better. I think this and that and the third. Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, come on now. You are not thinking objectively. You are thinking in a very contrarian way, I really believe that that's the phenomenon that's occurring, that people thought they were about to get this eclectic performance from Frank Ocean, and they got probably a pretty dope-ass performance from somebody who is known to perform very well, being Aubrey Drake. But that's my whole, that's the Twitter check-in. I think it's crazy. I think white people do not like white things either, surprisingly. If they know that it's a white thing, that's what may bring them to it. That's not going to keep them. When it's so many of them, then they like, well, you know, it's, it's, it's getting played. Everyone knows about it. It's not a thing anymore. It's not exclusive. It's not uh, cool to brag about because everyone knows. It's just like, you know, white people with the wire, you know, like they all have watched the wire. So now it's not even that significant anymore because it's not a thing that they can say that I, I'm cool because I, I, I understand and I have knowledge on a certain thing or I have this taste on a certain thing. And I think that's why so many people um, love those, you know, experimental or just thug uh, kind of like trap music, which never made sense to me. Like, why do you like trap? But they a lot of them do. A lot of white people love trap music. And I think that's because of the difference factor of it all. They're not the, the top dogs. They're not none of those things. That's why they love them. That's why they feel like that's my guy. That's who I like. Because they like people who are, I don't know, they like to kind of have some exclusivity within all that they do. And when they find out that there's not much, when these things are free-flowing, they don't like it as much. But I digress. Let's get into the main topic. Wait, hey, you still got 20 minutes left. Okay, what you want me to do? That fool's gonna hold us to every second of the contract. Yeah, well, go, go babysit him, I'll take care of him. 
It's okay. It's gonna be on the way. You know what they say? We got a little bit more work to do. That was the last song in the book, right? You know, Fathead, it ain't never the last song. Uh, now, Ben, follow me. Do what I do. Say what I say. This is how we're gonna do it. So biopics are extremely important in terms of a genre and film for so many different reasons, right? We get to see exactly what it is. What is this story about this person? Who was it his rags to riches? What did they have to go through to become these notable figures, these notable humans that we all know for whatever we know them for? And I think they've always had a very interesting role in the perception, the widely known perception of blackness and black people. Black biopics are pivotal to popular culture. And I think even more than any other biopic about any other person that comes from a different ethnic group. Um, because unfortunately, I think they got the perception of just black people as a whole. Not only you know, are we talking about individuals, um, I feel like individuals who are non-black, they also, you know, they they don't have to deal with it as much. But it truly, truly, truly does shape our own self-esteem and the reverence for our culture by putting great quality things on screen. It makes people respect us. It makes it makes it makes the populace under, have a new understanding of a certain aspect of our lives. Like, oh, damn, that's why y'all loved this person so much or maybe i had the wrong you know perception of this ind individual or who knew that this is what they had to go through type of thing we just thought they were arrogant or we just thought this so i didn't know that they did so much good and it's all of that shit you know i think to me um i, I guess I, I believe that in current in recent history that there's been so many great biopics and terrible biopics that have been created. And I think they have varying impacts because um, sometimes I think they've been things that we've kind of beat like a dead horse in terms of content created around it. Like, I don't believe we've ever let Tupac die. Tupac has been alive since he died. Like, he, we have not allowed the memory of him to truly take a year off. We've created documentaries. We've created, there's been movies. There's been him featured in movies, but not about him and people around him from MC Hammer to Notorious. We've had so many different things. And I think that it's, it, it, once it came to All Eyes on Me, there was this interesting thing of like, finally we can get an all Tupac film. So it has to be right. It has to be good. So it's definitely going to get a certain critical type of push. They casted somebody who looked extremely, you know, identical to, to Tupac. So hopes were high. But more about that one later. About that one specifically later. But I think um, what's the most intriguing about all these stories of celebrities and historical figures and, and, and even private citizens who just have, some, have done something amazing that, you know, just needed to be blown up. Um, I think it truly guides the lens of, of the general populace on how black people are because of the most developed, we're in the most developed world 
that doesn't mean we have to create these like meaningful relationships with black people. It, it really does. I really do believe it creates this this expectation. And um, I don't think no one else has to go through that because we learn about all these other people that get like all these old white dudes who get biopics. There's already a million books about them. People have written about them. You, you can there's so much content around them that is um, popular, that is widely spoken on. So when they finally get the, you know, the kind of motion picture treatment, it's it's like, okay, will it do justice or not? It really doesn't matter too much because they are still important figures and it just is what it is. While I do believe that it does fuck around and tarnish the the legacy of this act, of this person, because it truly does shape the perception. A lot of people don't know these stories. A lot of people don't understand the the full history of this specific person or group of people. And so we just now that this is the only this is our first introduction into it, people already form their opinions based off of that introduction. Instead of looking past it and understanding what's the real stories and what are the inaccuracies and this could have been better, but you know, it's this was just a creative, you know, take on someone's life. This isn't really how it was, but I think it's hard for people to not see it that way because that's how we do with so many movies and biopics. It says based on a true story, we know some things might be made up, whatever, whatever, but it still creates this, this, this stigma of this is what I am, this is what I'm looking at, this is what this is. And I don't think that shit cool, but it is what it is, and we got to deal with it. We really do um, because I don't think it's going to change. I think it's really one of those types of things. Um, so... The first, the thing that sparked this whole conversation, this whole idea for me to even talk about about biopics was the controversy around this Harriet film. Now, Harriet film is starring Cynthia Erivo, um, Leslie Odom Jr., um, Janelle Monae, Janelle Monae, um, featured in this film. This is a feature film. It has gotten, you know, quite a lot of uh, conversation started. Um, there's so much controversy around the film and not for, you know, really, really good reasons. It's really, you know, I know it's certainly creating a very interesting perception, you know, perception around it did not do well in the box office the first week. Um, but the, the energy around it is very interesting. There is this energy that we've, I think we've adopted, um, since honestly, I guess you can call it the, you know, living in the post black Panther era where we know that we are here and our buying power is strong enough to literally break records if we truly go out and support something. Because uh, when we support it, we support it hard. We see, you see how it is with these Popeye's chicken sandwiches. We support shit hard, right? But I don't think this Popeye's is just us. Um, but I think it's sad that it's a lot of us that's getting into, you know, a lot of these, you know, weird <laughs> situations and altercations over some damn chicken. But I digress. For what I'm noticing and what I said earlier is that it's bigger than just a movie. And this Harrier film is truly one that is long overdue. I think the first um, kind of kind of strike at it was a TV film starring Cicely Tyson um, called, a, I think it's A Woman Named Moses, is, is I believe what the, the name of the kind of, you know, television series or mini series was called. And um, I can only imagine the performance on that. It was probably a pretty dope performance. It probably really gave you a 
interesting perception into the life of Harriet Tubman. But I think with the big screen, big budget treatment, I think a lot of people really had high expectations when they first said that this movie was going to, you know, be greenlit and really come out. I think um, it's interesting to me. The conversation that have been started are around, you know, we believe this is that black movie that we all got to support because if we don't support this one, then they're not going to make any more like it. And that's a weird type of pressure. And I just feel like we have to for us to really feel free in terms of what we want to do and not feel like we have to police ourselves in such a way where we're kind of policing each other's blackness in that way of like, how how much are you down for the cause if you're not supporting this specific film? You know, we should have the we should have the freedom to not want to support something just be, just for our own reasons. Um, for me, I don't really care to support it just based off the facts that are a part of the film. I don't really want to the not even the, the these aren't facts in the film, but the facts that they've made they've portrayed to be in the film, just making up shit, just creating, making this, because of course you're gonna add some fiction, you know, make some of this into some fictional things, but the fact that these things just seem to really have no real merit in telling her story really makes, just turns me off. The fact that it's a black slave catcher in it turned not only me, but a lot of people off. And there being no real direct empirical evidence that that's even that even was a thing for real makes me just really turns me off to the whole fucking film but past historical accuracy there's also that element of around the film being the star being Cynthia Revo Cynthia Revo has been has essentially been you know kind of charged with you know being kind of like aggressively afrocentric to where she you know has shat on you know the U.S. and African-Americans specifically. And she really hasn't been asked, you know, certain questions about that. You know, I think she really hasn't been pressed on that well enough um, because I do think she has to answer for that. She's playing an African-American woman and literally probably one of the most important African-American women in history. But yet these are views that you had not so long ago. Um, so, yeah, you can hit the whole, you know, you are a grown woman when you said a lot of these things. So you can hit the whole, you know, people change, people think differently, whatever, whatever. But people need I think she needs to speak to that. And I think that turns a lot to turn a lot of people off as well. But also the fact that um, I think the fact that she's British doesn't mean doesn't hold as much weight. But there are people who have problems with that. Um, and I think for me. My whole thing and my whole kind of conspiracy Jones thing when it comes to that is really just I do think it's very interesting of a trend that we continuously have Brits play significant roles of African-American just historical figures. You know, I think that's very intriguing, you know, from David Oyelowo to this um it kind of continues to happen. We kind of, you know, it it's a very interesting trend, I believe, um, that I don't think has to be a thing. But here we are. It is what it is. It kind of, because I feel like that's the lightest part about it. For me, take all that shit away and the fact that you have this story that you're not telling in the best type of way, you're really not doing it the best, you know, doing it as justice for real, telling that story, right? Telling that story, well... Because her story in itself is a 
incredible one, one filled with, you know, it's ups and downs and trials and tribulations. I just, I'm good. I'm good on that. I'm straight, you know, but it is what it is. One of the um, earliest examples that I could find of a biopic, and I would love if anybody, if I'm wrong on this, somebody to correct me, um, because it's hard as hell to find specific black facts. If you know anything about trying to research most things with blackness, you have to know specific terms and words to even try to get to the, you know, to the point of what you're trying to find. And what I've discovered is, I believe the earliest black biopic was in the 19 was in 1950 and it was a Jackie Robinson story starring Jackie Robinson um essentially a film about his you know entering into you know kind of essentially integrating um like killing segregation of you know baseball and integrating baseball and being that kind of you know person who's going to take all the arrows first essentially and I don't think they probably went as deep as they could have. And it's funny because he even got another biopic, you know, starring Chadwick Boseman, who is like the biopic king at this point, because he's pretty much is all of his biopics have been, you know, none of them have been terrible. I, I believe Get On Up was probably his best one. I think people would see that as probably possibly his best betrayal, even though he still kind of wasn't the best person for it. He did pretty damn good, you know, having the prosthetic, you know, teeth in and all that. It is what it is. Get on up. Um, But I think, you know, it's interesting that it took that long, you know, but I think, you know, it took some time passing. And because before then you had, you know, notable figures and notable people who possibly, you know, could have gotten films made about them. You know, you're talking about W.B. Du Bois and George Washington Carver and, uh, and Booker T. Washington were, you know, all significant people before the 19, before, before 1950. Um, and then you have so many other, um, Lewis Latimer, you have so, um, Madam C.J. Walker, you have so many people before the 1950s who could have, you know, shit, Harriet Tubman, you know, by 19, before 1950s, I think she could have definitely had a film treatment. But obviously we were talking about Jim Crow America. <laughs> and, you know, by 1950 is when it, essentially, you know, started to, I wouldn't say die down, but, you know, it got to a different place. It got, to, it was, it was matured and had been around for over several decades. So I think that's why things were a little bit lighter and, um, and why something like this could be even greenlit and created in the first place, but they are extremely well needed. Now, I think, um, there's so many different approaches that I've, that we've seen over the years when it comes to, um, when it comes to biopics, black biopics, you know what I'm saying? I did a little bit of, you know, asking on Twitter, uh, you know, seeing what people felt about what are some of the best, uh, what some of the best and some of the worst. And I got a good mixed bag, which is dope because that means we're not a monolith. It proves that we're not a monolith. And there's certain things that we love and that were drawn to us and certain things that really didn't matter. Um, <laughs> really didn't matter. It really didn't connect with us too much. I do believe that um, arguably, I think this can be argued. I don't have any stats directly in front of me, but just based off of the kind of the research that I, a little bit of research that I did do to make my points. What I'm, what I have concluded is that probably the best biopic 
um, in terms of, you know, cultural impact, performance and reception was possibly Malcolm X. And there's others. Black male, black ball, black guard. Yeah, well, there's some more, right? Let's look up white. Here. Read. White. Of the color of pure snow. Uh, reflecting all the rays of the spectrum. The opposite of black. Uh free from spot or blemish, innocent, pure. Huh, ain't this something? Without evil intent, harmless, honest, square dealing, honorable. Wait a minute, but this, this, this was written by white folks though, right? I mean, this white, white folks book? This sure ain't no black man's book. So what we reading this one for? Because the truth is lying there, if you read behind the words. No, uh, it did not hurt his career at all. It got him, you know, Oscar nominations and, and, and the movie was nominated for things and all of those different things. And it definitely um, set a tone in terms of, you know, performance of someone who is a notable figure. Because, you know, I don't even think Martin even had even a shot at uh, getting a biopic as of yet. Or if he did, no one really tried to get one through that was of quality. And I believe there was actually um, one called King that happened, I believe, in the in the 80s, early 90s, but people, I think it was like a TV movie that really just didn't do too well. Um, and I'm talking about the biopics that make it, you know, really big and do do make an impact. No shade to them being TV movies, but if you're going to make it, make it hot, make it good. You know what I'm saying? I believe one of the best and probably one of the most successful are, you know, things like the American, you know, Michael Jackson, American Dream. You have... Um, the new edition story, which were TV driven and they were series. These were mini series. And I think those approaches are beautiful approaches, depending on the story that you're trying to tell. Some people, you can't, it's hard to put your whole life, put a whole life into two hours. You know what I'm saying? Forrest Gump is a long ass movie. All these things are long ass movies. Like imagine that we all had the temptations on VHS and that was in my life. It seemed like probably the first movie to be changed over to DVD <laughs> and we all know how long that is. We all know how long the American dream is. It's a long damn movie, you know what I'm saying? It was a long series of, of movies. But I think it's a beautiful approach. I think it's a beautiful approach depending on the story you're trying to tell. Michael Jackson had a, such a hell of a story. Why wouldn't you break that up? Why wouldn't you give that its time instead of feeling like you gotta rush that story specifically? And it was still so much more to be said. That came out in the 90s. And he still had more to do. <laughs> like, it was still more coming out from him, more to produce. That's what's crazy about that. He still made even more history after he put out his own biopic, which I think um, is yet again another interesting approach. And then I went to the worst. people, And I asked this question as well. What are your best? What is the worst on Twitter? Got a few different responses. What I've discovered uh, to be probably, you know, I, it was a kind of a tie, in my opinion, on the the, the worst uh, biopics being Man in the Mirror, a TV movie about Michael Jackson starring Flex Washington. If you remember that, ugh, I feel for you. Then you have the Nina Simone biopic, which honestly, I'm not even sure if it really ever made the light of day. 
if it even hit a theater at all. Um, if it had any type of true theatrical release, it really could have just been shelved and put up just because of the controversy that was around it. Starring Zoe Saldana for who knows what the hell reason. You know, she has never really shown to have any type of, you know, significant musical talent. And her skin complexion certainly doesn't seem to be the perfect, <laughs> perfect tone for casting. Um, they had to use prosthetics to get her looks to a certain way and so many different things. And I do think there is something to be said. And it's a question that I asked you guys, like the things that people have said, how I guess, how should that be considered when it, in, when it comes to playing um, real people? Somebody like Zoe Saldana, I'm not sure if it was before or after this film going into development, but I believe it was probably before the fact. She has admittedly said that she doesn't identify as a black woman. She has admittedly said that. that she, I think she may identify as, you know, as, um, I don't know, like, I think she's, you know, Afro-Latino. And so that's what she identifies as. And it's nothing wrong with that. Identify whatever you want to identify with. That's on you. The world's probably going to see you a little bit differently, but that's on you. To me, that affects a lot. It goes back to the Cynthia Revo situation. You're a black Brit who has said disparaging things about African-Americans, and yet you're now about to play one of the most important ones. I think, to me, if I was in casting, that would go into my selection because it's a bus- this is a business move, too. We're making art, but we're not just wanting our art just to be seen as an educational video. We want this to sell. We want people to move with their money, move with their dollars to do something. So we can't have a negative tinge on any part of this fucking film, especially one about Harriet fucking Tubman and especially one about Nina Simone, a very historical figure, a person whose, you know, records have been sampled and sampled and resampled and sampled of the sample. It's been crazy. But they approached that all wrong. No one even knows if what the script was like. No one cares what the script was like because it just did not make sense for you to skip out on finding the correct type of character, type of actor to play the role who had the chops and had the look. Because those are just the two basic things that you could do. If you're not going to do anything else right, those are two basic things you could do to make sure that people are getting excited and galvanized to do what give you they damn money because that's like we see it on twitter all the time people are forever throwing out ideas people are there's a extreme desire to see ourselves on screen but we've gotten to a point now to where we've seen ourselves a good a little bit more so we're starting to get even more critical over the things that we see which is why i see it as a positive thing that people don't just automatically go out and just love and quietly you know critique Harriet, we're critiquing it out loud because we can't sit here and give so much power to the powers that be. Because if we truly want to be the people who create and have, you know, who are the gatekeepers and the controllers of our narratives, we can't see it as, oh, us not supporting this means that we're going to, you know, everything else is going to not be, you know, made and greenlit and so on and so forth. We know that's not true. We know that we should be in those spaces and places and we have to produce things on our own. Period. Um, in terms of approach, because uh, I think that's a significant thing that I think, you know, I wanted to make sure that, that I point out on why there's good things and why there's bad things. 
there's so many different biopics that have came out that have, you know, really shocked the world and made us all feel so many different ways. But let's really think about some of the some of the best approaches to these biopics, right? So what I've seen the most of is you had the, you know, the rags, the riches, the child to adult story, the kind of, you know, bringing you to a certain point into their lives. Um, also, you have the life, you know, the beginning life to death. You have those situations, depending on, you know, how that person's story went about. Sometimes you exclude that uh, the death part of it all and you put that into the white, you know, white worded blackout credits at the end, which I I don't you know, I'm not opposing that as well. I think that's what you've seen with Ray. Ray was a good example of that, of that approach. I think, you know, Ray gave you the origin story, gave you those kind of had this creative sense of flashbacks and dreams, which could have been, you know, a figment could have been that part where that was fictional. He probably really maybe never had those type of haunting type of dreams. Oh, he could have all the time. Very interesting. Um, I think a creative, even interesting narrative around the, um, the him going blind and, and him kind of dreaming about the, the last things that he's seen. And that's what he dreamed about was the things that he could see. And I think that truly made sense to me. I'm not sure if blind people really are that way, if they ever had sight in the first place. But I thought, I think it's a beautiful, it was a beautiful story to be told. Um, some people feel a lot of ways about the performances and all that. And, um, but I think as a whole, it was a great performance. It, I think it definitely warranted and was worthy of him winning an Oscar for it. Jamie Foxx was impeccable in the role and gave us exact kind of really what we really needed in terms of we got his musical genius. We got his personality outside of, you know, music. We understood his, you know, his vices. We got a very full picture of him. Another great example would be what's love got to do with it? Something that came up in my in my little questionnaire on Twitter. I think it's a perfect all around one where they did the same approach. Yeah, come in. Damn, who died? You got enough flies in here for a funeral, eh? How'd you get in here, Ike? What do you want, huh? Hey, it's a big night for the land of May. I come to see the show, just like everybody else. How'd you get past security? Oh, come on now. You know me better than that. Look at, I told you, I told you it wasn't over. I told you you was gonna see me again. Here I am, big and bold as shit. You won't believe me. Thought you was gonna get away from me. Thought, thought, thought a nigga like me was gonna let you get away from me. You can't get away from me, eh? and I'm in here. Now you gonna act like you don't even know me. Yeah, I know. You start young, I know start you, you off in the church, showing that you always have had this gift and this passion for music, and then also get right into that tribulation. Show you, show you know some of your, where some of your trauma may come from, where some type of you know obstacle in your life came from, and then they could do a speed jump. They can you know do whatever they you know a little time jump or whatever they're gonna do to kind of catch us up, and then show us the the come up. They did that beautifully. They did that perfectly, and I love how they ended it. Um, I think they ended both films very similarly by bringing in the real person to sing a song and and outro the movie. Beautiful, beautiful takes. But then you have approaches that are um, more segmented, that are kind of put into a, um, instead of you starting out at the youngest point of theirs, kind of start out at that point of, you know, 
where they start to figure shit out, where they start to, you know, start to get on their way. You see that in the Jimi Hendrix story where, you know, it's the kind of the start of his um, career. You see that in you, you even kind of seen that slightly. <laughs> that was a kind of slightly approach when it came to all eyes on me. It kind of started us in a moment of, you know, of where Tupac was at that moment with this interview and him being in jail. But then they kind of gave you a flashback, him kind of telling the story in a way. And it kind of jumped around and then kind of got onto some type of linear storytelling. Once he got out, it was like, this is how we're going to make sense of him catching him, catching everyone up with him. And then we're going to just continue the rest of the film, which was crazy to me is that part that was linear was way better. It was way more concise. It was way easier to understand. It felt like a good movie for a second. But jumping around the way they did, trying to give you these kind of like long winded video music video moments really made it very mixy, made it very all over the place. And um, and the performances were extremely flat Um, and just certain creative takes that they did. You know, I think the casting of Snoop dude looked a little bit goofy, didn't look too smooth. And they had a voice over a fucking Snoop's voice. That's strange. If you cannot sound at least kind of cool, kind of smooth, then there's no point. We know who you are. You don't got to, you know, you don't got to sell too hard on who Snoop is. But they could not deliver on that. But then you had so many other, you know, so there's so many other examples of, you know, people who have came in and given us, you know, exactly what it is. You know, I think the, the other come up, beautiful come up story would be, you know, like the Temptations, for instance, where you have them coming together, not starting from when they were children, but them coming together and forming the groups in the middle, you know, doo-wopping and show-stopping on the side of the corner, street corners, and coming together to form these groups. And you find out there were other groups and they kind of made a super group and practicing and stepping and dancing in somebody's, you know, mama's living room and so on and so forth. And what they had to do to finally get to Barry Gordy and then become the Temptations. And then all those trials and tribulations of them being the Temptations until the untimely deaths of practically all the members. Um, I think that was interesting. I think that was dope. And they had the element of bringing in a real person to go ahead and sing us off. You feel me? Because that was sad as hell when Blue died. I don't know about y'all, but that shit got me every time. Because he was just going in there to just check on the ribs. He wanted to spare ribs. He was, he was was His mouth was watering for them ribs. And it's unfortunate that he just did not make it. He just was gone. Just rolling into his mama kitchen. <sighs> Jennifer Lou, J. Lou, I can't believe it's it's so sad. But I digress. I do have one question because I do believe that I've noticed a a trend because there's so many good ones. There's so many bad ones and all of that. But I do want to know, does a person being alive for their biopic improve the film? Like, does that really improve the film like i do believe that it's a possibility that it can hold a lot of weight and do a lot of great things because i think you have good examples of you know like the new edition story i feel like everyone had was kind of each other's checks and balances and created some a lot of truth probably fig, you know really didn't probably wasn't enough room and so many different personalities for anybody to give you any type of too much fiction and add in and make themselves look a little bit better. Um, but then you have things like, you know, the Leah story. Well, she isn't alive. Her family's alive. 
but they were still able to make a film about her and it was trash. It's seen it's it's seen as one of the worst. <laughs> Lifetime has been literally stamped for really truly ruining the story of Aaliyah and really it's been hard for anybody to try to do it again. Um and I think that's a very, very major, major key, major major point that I feel like people need to all around understand. Um because I feel like they're, they can be good. It, it doesn't, t- I think it's really all, I think it's really all about, I don't know what, I don't know how that happened. Um, I think it's really all about approach. I think the approach matters so much on making a good film, not doing too damn much, not adding too much, just giving it, just telling it like it is, glossing up where you need to gloss it up, but not trying to, trying to form your own narrative of a person who literally lived a whole life and and more than anything let's at least try to match in aesthetics let's at least at the least that's all we can do <laughs> if regardless of the script and everything else let's at least make sure that they look kind of like them and not through prosthetics not through all of that not through movie magic just just coming as they come we can understand and believe this is who this is period but I'm going to send it on and I'm going to send it on with some help from one of my favorite, uh, I guess, media um, kind of media sites that talks about film and television all the time. And it's shadow and act shadow and act. And what they did was they created a list of over 60 plus biopics um, on black public figures in development. And um, here's the full list, and I'll have the link in my um, in the description of this. I think this was made in 2017, so there are some of these that have probably already came out, hence the Harriet film was on here, and it's already coming out. Um, but you have so many on here, and I'm not going through all here, but I'm highlight. I'm going to definitely speak on a few of these, uh, at least tell you about a few of these from the Luther Campbell story. We're talking about Uncle Luke. We can only imagine how that movie's going to be. I am tuning in. I'm Manish. I'm sorry. It is what it is. Then you have um, Malcolm Butler, who was a former, you know, who's uh, a New England Patriots fan who was known for, uh, thanks to his game-winning interception in the final moments of Super Bowl, whatever, two years ago, <laughs> uh, which pitted the Patriots against the Seattle Seahawks, those same fans will have even more to celebrate the pro athlete with then a biopic on Butler. And it's uh, it's gonna be produced or whatever. It's gonna be pretty interesting, pretty dope. Um, you have him. You have the Jodeci story brought to you by the people who made the new edition story. I'm kind of excited about that. Ooh, yeah. I'm so excited about that. Um, Angela Davis, which I believe, I think they actually already, you know, started to cast for this one. Angela Davis story is definitely going to be bananas. Then you have the Madam C.J. Walker story, which I believe is going to come on Netflix. You have one on Aretha Franklin, which we all know. There's like two in development, which I think Cynthia Revo is playing one of those Aretha's. And then I believe you have Jennifer Hudson playing the other. You have Dionne Warwick. Um which I believe will be casted by um, Latoya Luckett playing the role of Dionne Warwick. 
Um, you have Fannie Lou Hamer, you have Misty Copeland, you have Prince, which I believe, um, I think his name's Andre, Andre something, um, who I believe people are trying to pitch to, um, he was, he played Kevin in Moonlight, I can't remember his name, but he is kind of the person, everyone's saying like, we think he could play him the best, even though he doesn't, he's not that fair skinned, they were thinking about more of his voice and all that, which I don't know, people probably will roll with that. Um, Grace Jones, uh, and the list really goes on and on and on. Baynard Rustin, which would be really dope. Um, Lee Daniels is trying to make his own, which he's probably trying to do his own, obviously. <laughs> um, John Coltrane, uh, Destiny's Child, uh, Paul Robeson. It goes on and on and on. But read the rest of that list with the link, like I said, is in my uh, description. But yeah, I'm going to wrap this on up. I appreciate y'all, appreciate y'all, appreciate y'all. I've been ranting about, you know, uh, IG and their, them bringing down the likes and bringing down exposure and doing some really weird shit with this algorithm. But I know the people who want to hear this want to hear this. And I'm asking you truthfully and truthfully to make sure if you enjoy the show, to share the show. To, to let people know what you think about the show. Let me know what you think about the show first and make sure you let other people know what you think as well. Even if you don't like it, I want to know. I need to know. I would love to know. Tell me what you what's the problem. What's your, what's, your, what's, your, what's your beef with me? And we can, you know, we can hash that out. We can have a good discussion about it. But all in all, let's share this. And I definitely want to hear an answer to that question. And does someone being alive affect the quality of the film let me know what you think about that and i and we'll keep that in the discussion we may do a live about that and kind of keep this conversation going talking about biopics yes 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 but if you don't know now you know you can listen to the simply king podcast everywhere podcasts are available from spotify to apple podcast to google play to radio public to iHeartRadio. the list goes on make sure you listen 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 Follow, subscribe, review, and rate. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. This is the Soulfully Conscious Podcast for Humans Simply Being Humans. I'm Rodney Perry, also known as King, and this is Simply King. Peace. But if